Good greetings in the Master's name. The uh, title of the message today is Glossenheit. How many of you are familiar with that term? Okay, not very many, a few. Well, I had heard of it, and uh, I understood that it was a core concept, but I had never really looked into it. And uh, what kind of got me going in this direction, um, I uh, forget what I was studying, but I ran across the uh, online, the first chapter of a book on uh, horse and buggy Mennonites by Donald Grable and James Hurd. Uh, and it's about the Wanger uh, Mennonites in Pennsylvania is what this book is about. Uh, the, that's the, the officially the Groffdale Conference, which is the, uh, the Beery group here would relate to. Um, but they they looking at it from a sociological perspective, and uh, the Amish, the old order groups, they make interesting studies for the sociologists because they're, you know, what makes them function, you know, um, uh, they're a separate group. They're almost countercultural, or at least they haven't been absorbed. And so they just make interesting sociological studies. Now, we don't make very interesting studies anymore because we've been more uh, uh, acculturated. But, uh, but anyway, this first chapter in this book, um, it, it, uh, it, talked, it, it talked about this uh, as, a, as sort of a core concept of the way they function. And... Um, well, that was one aspect, and then um, that made me think along these lines, and and then some discussion I had with someone who I'm not sure they're a member anywhere, um, and they were sort of uh, championing the fact that they weren't a member. Uh, you know, they kind of do their own thing, and um, I mean, some churches they go about membership in different ways, and some are kind of like you know, it's sort of a yearly commitment uh, or something. Uh, but not really in a membership role. And uh, maybe that was sort of their status, I'm not sure. Um, and then the fact that we're forming a congregation here. So, so here to start with, I, um, and of course in studying this, um, the, uh, of course I was looking up things, trying to f find out, you know, how, what, looking at different sources and so on. And, there's quite a bit like there was there's a there's a dissertation on a PhD dissertation. I wasn't able to get a hold of that, but then there was online there was somebody that had a master's thesis on it. It was about a hundred pages and of course different different books and sources and so on. Um, but anyway, just reading a few things. I'll start out here with kind of a description. It's more the boring part, maybe. I want to get to some scripture, but um Galassenheit, yieldedness, letting be, or submission to the will of God. Modern German, the word is composure, tranquility, serenity. This concept derives from the Bible when Jesus said, Not my will, but thine be done, thereby making individuality, selfishness, and pride abhorrent. See humility. He submits to Christ, the person um, practicing Glossenheit, he submits to Christ, loses his own will, and yields, that's Glossenheit, himself in all areas, serving others and submitting to God. The values which must be apparent in a believer's actions are submission, obedience, humility, and simplicity. Glossenheit should be the overriding aspect for every person within the community. It's talking about the believer's community. And it must be viewable through actions and possessions. I'll just say right now that 
the Hutterites make a great big deal out of this. That, you know, if you're going to be truly selfless, you're going to share your goods. Now, we believe in practicing on a voluntary way. Uh, but anyway, they, they make quite uh, the thing out of a glossonite. Modern, okay, now this is interesting. Modern culture's aggressive individualism sharply contrasts with Glossenheit. The, in Glossenheit, the individual suppresses the will of self in lieu of the community. Giving up individuality and any thought of selfishness, embracing God's will by serving others and submitting to Him. Salvation is not only an individualistic experience, Salvation is also mediated through participation in the life of the community. And uh, I think we believe that. Uh, in other words, salvation is not just my relationship, the vertical relationship with God, but salvation also involves how I relate to others. The concept, the concept of Glossenheit carries multiple meanings. Yieldedness, Surrender, submission, humility, calmness. Glossenheit stands in sharp contrast to the individualism of American culture, which nurtures a bold, assertive self that clamors for individual freedom and choice. Those who embody the virtues of Glossenheit surrender themselves to God, yield to the authority of the church, and defer to others in authority over them. They exhibit a meek and mild personality, one that is willing to suffer rather than defend itself. For 16th century European Anabaptists burning at the martyr stake, Glossenheit meant the literal abandonment of the self into the hands of God. Over the centuries, this meaning has been translated into cultural forms of communal values and simple living. Glossenheit is the crucial bridge between the individual and the redemptive community. Members who are filled with this virtue are willing to deny self, to surrender self for the welfare of the community. And uh, just sort of as a side note, um, just this week uh, I got the articles that are to be in the summary of the school lightlines paper, and one of them is on emperor penguins. And it was talking about the emperor penguins and how, of course, in Antarctica, and um, they, um, they, um, how they survive, like the, um, the, the female, when she lays an egg, she lays it on the, on, the, on, the, on the surface, but within two minutes it has to be got onto the feet of the male or it won't hatch. And so she rolls it onto the feet of the male and he puts a flap of skin over it and, uh, and the female, she's off to the ocean to feed. And so he... he he sits there with his egg, well, he stands there, I guess it is, with the egg, uh, and it might be, it's, well, anyway, if everything goes well, and he keeps it on his feet with his flap of skin over it, he keeps it at 90 degrees Fahrenheit. But like when a blizzard blow, blows through, it might be 50 below with 100-mile-an-hour winds, and he's still keeping that egg at 90 degrees. But how do they survive? Because they're just, they're not, they're not feeding, they're not eating, they're just, taking care of that egg. Well, there might be um, 10,000 of them in a rookery. There was, I was looking up some stuff like the when, there, when there's a whole pile of them out in the ocean, they're called a raft, and when they're on land, it's called a 
Waddle, I guess. But anyway, Rookery or whatever. There's a couple different names. But anyway, so like when a blizzard's blowing through, and they're all on, a, they're all in this big, big huddle. And uh, and then the ones on the outside, they rotate, like. The ones in the center, see, they're warm. And then the ones on the outside are catching the wind and everything, and they rotate in and out, in and out. And it said during a blizzard, while they're rotating and moving like that, they might move several miles. But you see, they're all functioning together as a community. They're giving up, how would you say, I don't know, their community. It, it was, to me, it was just kind of an interesting thing while I was thinking about all this and here, ran on to this, how they functioned. Well, anyway, be that as it may. Um, Submission is something that came through strong here. And what phrase, what phrase in the Lord's Prayer speaks of submission? Thy will be done. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That's submission to God's will. What do we think about when we pray the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And so, of course, what is the perfect example of that? Of course, Christ. Uh, let's um, let's turn to Matthew twenty six thirty nine. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And of course, the perfect example. But how it plays out. Matthew twenty six thirty nine, and this is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, just a few hours before his arrest and torture and crucifixion. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And that's Glossenheit. Submission to the will of God. And for the martyrs, that's exactly what it meant. Uh, what does it mean for us? Well, let's look a little bit more at the life of Christ and what it meant. John 5, verse 30. John chapter 5, verse 30. I can of mine own self do nothing. Remember, this is Christ. This is Christ talking. And if, if anybody could have, well, he had, he was God. But he says, I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. Again, submission to God's will. But it didn't show up just in the Garden of Gethsemane. The whole, his whole life, that was the way he functioned while he was on earth as a man. Uh, go back to chapter 4, verse 34. 
Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Well, meat is a sort of a generic uh, description there. It's what satisfies me. What gives me fulfillment, what satisfies me in life, is doing the will of God, doing the will of him that sent me. And it says, and to finish his work. And we'll look at that in a minute, too. But is that where we find fulfillment in submitting our will to the will of God? Uh, John 6, 38. <clears throat> it's interesting, several verses right along in here in the Gospel of John along this line. John 6, verse 38. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. So, you know, uh, organizations uh, are supposed to have a vision statement or a mission statement or something. Uh, how would you like that for a mission statement for your life? Not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. That'd be a good mission statement, wouldn't it? In John 8, 29, Jesus said, I do always those things that please him. And I don't know if any of us can quite come up to that or not. I do always those things that please him. Now, turn to John 19, verse 30. John 19, verse 30. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, this is while he was on the cross, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. It is finished. Well then, just a little bit earlier in John 17, a few hours before this, when Jesus was praying, and uh, he said, um, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Well, Back earlier in John, Jesus said, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And he did. He said, It is finished. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. Now, if, well, that, I guess, person can go around and around on a question like that. But if I would die today, would I be able to say, I finished the work he gave me to do? I mean, are we. If, if, we're, if we're living with that mentality, I came not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Whatever, whenever our number's called, so to speak, whenever our time comes. Sa Sasha was 27 years old. And could she say I finished my work? Yeah. Because she would. Well, anyway. Okay, now another um, submission, yieldedness, humility, um, letting go, all those kind of the same thing. Uh, and maybe we won't turn to this, but I, yieldedness. I was thinking about yieldedness and what Romans 6 says. It says, yield yourself to God. Yield your members uh, as servants of righteousness. Um, James says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. So far, we've been looking at submitting ourselves to God, Jesus doing God's will. 
and I want to move to submitting ourselves to one another, but before that, who comes to your mind, or who might come to your mind if you think about somebody in Scripture that submitted themselves to God's will? I'm sure there's more than one answer for that, but right away my mind goes to one person, but who comes to your mind? David. Uh, David, a man after God's own heart, okay? Daniel. Daniel, okay, yes, he purposed in his heart he wouldn't defile himself. Job. You say Job? Okay. Paul. Yeah. Paul? Okay, well, there's lots of examples, isn't it? I'll tell you where my mind went. My mind, uh, my mind goes to Mary when she says, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Whatever you have for my life, I'm open to it. And that was fairly demanding for her life. Okay, now, as far as um, submitting to each other, uh, Hebrews 13, 17. Let's turn to a few scriptures here. Hebrews 13, 17. And this is one that sometimes uh, people react to a little bit, but it's, it's what the Scripture says. Now, of course, we understand that um, this is talking about obeying them to have the rule over you, and, and we understand that those who have the rule, they have uh, certain uh, ways there to function, too. The Scripture speaks to that. But here in Hebrews 13, 17, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. And so in, 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 in those uh, groups, societies, where gloss and height is something that's very strongly emphasized, uh, this, this would be a part of it. Ephesians 5, 21 says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And let's turn to 1 Peter 5, verse 5. 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. So it says, all of you be subject one to another. And let's turn yet back to, uh, along this line, let's turn back to 1 Corinthians 16. First Corinthians 16, verses 15 and 16. I beseech you, brethren, ye know the house of Stephanus, that it is the firstfruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that ye submit yourselves unto such, and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. So there again, submitting to one another. And I was thinking, you know, uh, well, that first of all, that's a very interesting verse there in 15. I don't know if that word's used anyplace else in Scripture or not. I never checked on that, um, just recently anyway. Addicted. 
I mean, you talk about addictions and uh, people have their addictions, but here these people had addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. And so it shouldn't be too hard to submit to somebody like that, that uh, had, had, had addicted themselves to serving others. But there it's uh, their submission again. Now, uh, again, reading a little bit more now of some descriptions and what people said about this. The Anabaptists were convinced that their faith was one of trust and their trust in God allowed them to self-surrender their lives so completely that they accepted martyrdom. Glossenheit, in the Anabaptist view, has two closely related meanings. First, it means that the Christian must yield to God's will. Each person must give up self-will and self-centered desires to follow God. The death of self-will may involve both internal and external suffering. Internally, there is a struggle to die to selfish desires. Externally, obedience to God's will may bring persecution. Thousands of early Anabaptists were burned at the stake or drowned. Indeed, martyrdom became a sign of a yielded life. Both internal and external yielding were ways of following Christ's path to the cross. One must let go to God and be in a state of Glossenheit, yieldedness, submission, composure, if one is to experience God. That's what an early writer, early Anabaptist writer said, I think. Uh, Hans Dink, another Anabaptist writer, if man shall become one with God, he has to suffer what God intends to work in him. There is no other way to blessedness than to lose one's self-will. Another quote from that era, when we truly realize the love of God, we will be ready to give up for love's sake even what God has given us. It is by this glossenheit that a true disciple is first recognized only by overcoming all selfishness will a community of love become possible. And that's a fairly significant statement. Only by overcoming all selfishness will a community of love become possible. Well, we want to be a community of love. Glossenheit remains as an attitude of complete yieldedness. Dink understood Glossenheit as a relinquishing of self-will to become an instrument of God. Uh, I have a track uh, called Golden Hours with the Bible, and uh, in it, it has um, a name for a lot of different chapters, like John, uh, I guess it's John 15 is the abiding chapter. Uh, but anyway, I was thinking, if I would say the body chapter, which, where would your mind go to which chapter? the body chapter. You go to Ephesians 4, okay. And I don't know if it's ever been given that title or not. They say that's one way for you to Bible study when you're reading. If you read a chapter, if you can give that chapter a title, you know, you've thought through it. What's the essence of that chapter? Um, I, I was thinking about uh, 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, and uh, not sure, maybe I'll read just a few verses there. 1 Corinthians 12, and why I call it the body chapter. Uh, maybe we're starting at verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. 
If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it has pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now there are many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. Well, in uh, there's this um, writing uh, called True Surrender and Christian Community of Goods by Peter Walpart in 1577. And it was, of course, he was a Hutterite. Uh, but he said this, No one can find greater love and care than that to be found in a body. Every member, whatever it doeth, doeth it to profit and help the others. The eyes see not for themselves, the ears hear not for themselves, the hands work not for themselves, and the feet go not for themselves. In short, no member is his own but the body's. Now, two statements Two statements that had been in uh, earlier things I read, I just want to bring them up again. Modern culture's aggressive individualism sharply contrasts with Glossenheit. Glossenheit stands in sharp contrast to the individualism of American culture, which nurtures a bold, assertive self that clamors for individual freedom and choice. It's interesting. Uh, um, uh, one thing I, I, I remember it kind of uh, was an interesting take on things. Um, while we had Billy, uh, our fetal alcohol syndrome child, occasionally we, he needed to have an evaluation. And um, of course he had some ADD, ADHD characteristics. And um, we were talking to the psychiatrist about that, I know, just discussing in general. And she, she her, her theory was that um, that Americans are sort of wired for that. It's kind of in our DNA because the people who came over here from Europe, you know, they were the, they were the uh, more bold ones, you know, the ones that was willing to take risk and so on. And so it's just kind of a part of our nature that we're more ADD oriented. Um, but um, so anyway, is, uh, is it just something we can't help? <laughs> I mean, this modern culture's individualism. Now, this was really interesting. The Mennonite Encyclopedia entry for Glossenheit which was written in the 1950s, said present-day Mennonitism has lost the idea of Glossenheit nearly completely. Is that true? This individualism. Uh, I think it was in, uh, I don't know if it was said exactly this way, but I think it was something along this line. Years ago, I was reading, I think, an Open Doors newsletter. That's uh, Brother Andrews. I don't get it. But anyway, I think it was in there. It said that the mentality of the Western world is, I am because I think. The mentality of the Eastern world is, I am because we are. And you see the contrast between the individual and the community there. I am because I think. I am because we are. Um, just a little bit more here yet. Jesus modeled for us as a human being what it looks like to empty oneself, to let go and yield to the Spirit of God in everyday life. 
And then uh, there was reference here to Philippians 2. Um, and uh, maybe I'll just read a couple of verses there. But that whole chapter, Christ's humiliation and exaltation, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also in the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I'm not sure which translation this is, but uh, I, I uh, ran across this uh, rendering of it. Let the same mind be in you that was or that you have in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. Being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, from where God raised him up. Uh, one person in giving some of these uh, background or pulling some of these thoughts together just kind of made his own comment. He said, I observe in myself and others how very hard it is to let go to the point of even giving the spirit just a crack into the world and story that I've created for and about myself. It is such a hard thing to do. I doubt that I'm alone in feeling both the lure of letting go and the fear that if I do, I'll lose my very soul and being in the process. Now that was an interesting way of looking at it. As gold is tried in the fire, so are men in the furnace of surrender. Not hard the word of God would be if from self-interest men were free. Not hard the word of God would be if from self-interest men were free. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. What does that mean? Well, all we have to do is look at the example of Jesus. As members of the body of Christ, our preferences, our efforts, our desires are for the body and not self. 1 Peter 5, 5, again, yea, all of you be subject one to another. Let's kneel for prayer.